0: Hey, I'm just honored to get into this message today. It is week two of our series, For Our City. Somebody say, For Our City. Uh, We are going to fly through the book of Jonah today. Uh, How many of you have ever read the book of Jonah or seen the Veggie Tales animated series about Jonah? Come on, somebody. Uh, If you've seen that, I I don't know about you, but as I was writing this message, I was picturing an asparagus being thrown over the side of the ship. Uh, I grew up in in church in the 90s, so if if you just please forgive me for that. So, uh, I am excited to get into this book today, and the uh, title of the message, if you are taking notes, is simply called A Heart for Nineveh. Somebody say Nineveh. Now, the city of Nineveh, we'll get into a little bit of it today, but I want to get straight to the word of God, if that's okay with you. Jonah 1, 1 through 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Let's pray. Father God, would you help me to speak this word today? Would you help me to communicate the things that I feel like you want to communicate today. Open up our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to what you would have to say. And all God's people said, amen. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and he says, go preach against this great city of Nineveh. It's wicked, it's evil. There's a lot of problems in the city. And Jonah, I need you to go ahead and go out there. But here's the problem. Jonah did not want to go. He did not want any part of the great city of Nineveh. Well, what do we know about Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital city of the nation of Assyria. It was a massive, massive city with uh, hundreds of thousands of people. It, it says it's well over 120,000. We'll hear later God even actually gives us a number. It's a lot of people in this city, especially for that time period. But these people were not good. Uh, we talked about last week about uh, uh, Babylon and how they kind of had some similar problems, right? Well, it's very, very similar. They would torture people. Uh, They would would, uh, pillage cities and they would take the women and children. They would do awful things to them. And it was just not a good place. It was not a good nation by any means. And what do we know about Jonah? Well, that he was a prophet to Israel. And unfortunately for Jonah, Assyria and Israel were bitter enemies. They were enemies. It's like if God called you to go preach to somebody that you absolutely Hated that you did not like whatsoever. This is what God is asking Jonah to do. How many of you know sometimes that God will call you to serve and to love your enemies? oh my goodness, he will call you to love people that do not love you. He will call you to love and serve people that do not like you, that you don't think anything like, that you don't act anything like. And God will call you to do it anyway. But here's the deal. The the city of Nineveh and the nation of Assyria is still struggling to this day. Why? Because Assyria is now known today as Iraq. And all the terrorism and all the the difficulties and the governmental problems that they've had, it's been there for thousands of years. It's not like something has just popped up in the last 30 years. No, no, no. It's been this way for a very, very long time. So Jonah gets on a boat, but he's not headed to the place that God tells him to go. He is headed to Tarshish, and he sails away, trying to escape having to preach to this vile, vile city. Now, what do we know about Tarshish? Well, we know Nineveh is about 500 miles east, here we go, east of Israel. And Tarshish is 2,500 miles west of Israel. And that is what would be modern day Spain, all right? So think, he's going to Spain instead of to Iraq. That is a long way away, right? And in fact, as far as the known world at the time, that is as far away that you could get in the known world at that time from where God had called him to go. How many of y'all know sometimes we try to run away from God? (laughs) Come on now, we try to get away from him. The things that he's asked us to do, maybe because we're scared, maybe because we think we're insecure, we're not good enough, or we just simply don't want to. Well, Jonah's name actually means dove. If you translate his name, it means dove. And, And there's something interesting about dove that are similar to some birds, but unlike many others, is that dove, when they sense that a storm is coming, what do they do? They will fly away. They fly away. And I think that that is, uh, the irony is not lost here. Uh, Are you running from God? Maybe you're running from God and a plan that he has in your life or something that he's called you to do. Uh, let me encourage you, you can't get away from the voice of God and the love of God. Maybe you're running away from God and you're not living for him today and, and you know that you need to get right with God, but but you're running and you're barely even here at church this morning. Some of y'all, uh, I know you might have just woken up be like, I don't even want to go to this place today. I haven't been to church in a long time. I don't know anything about God or anything about these people or whatever, but let me tell you, you are here for a reason and it's that God is drawing you close to himself today because you cannot run away from the love of Jesus. Somebody say amen today. Day. Jonah uh, thought that he was better than Nineveh, and by all standards, technically, he was. If we're just being real, he had kept himself pure before God. He was a prophet to God's people, so obviously he wasn't a bad guy, right? Or else he would not be a prophet. prophet they had high God had high standards for his prophets. He had kept himself pure. He's a prophet, but what was he doing that was wrong in this moment? He was judging people that did not know God he was judging the outsider he didn't want to go talk to the outsider now there's a phrase that we say a lot of times in the church world we say we are in the world but we are not of the world we are in the world not of the world but many times I think we're in the world not of the world but instead we just judge the world Come on, like, what? Well, I'm in the world, not of the world. Listen, I have my church family. I'm in this world. And we believe that that is true, right? That we're in the world. Of course, we're here today, uh, but our heavenly home is where we actually belong. The Bible says that we are not citizens of this earth. We are citizens of heaven. That's where we really truly belong is with God. And what we're here in this world now, but here's the problem. Many times we get to this place uh, called earth, we grow up and we find God and, and we realize, okay, I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven and this is my home right now. But then we end up judging everybody else that doesn't believe like us. We judge the rest of the world and, and we use that. It's actually weaponized. I'm in the world, not of the world, right? Like I don't do all the worldly things, but listen, God loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus, right? Like God loves the world and he doesn't want us to judge the world. So I think many times we end up being what I would call a judge the world Christian, really. And how do you know if you are a judge the world Christian? Well, let me tell you this morning. One of the most obvious things, and maybe this is just by happen of circumstance or whatever, but I think we need to be a little bit more intentional about this is that maybe you only hang out with Christians. You only hang out with other people that think exactly like you, talk just like you, and look just like you. And maybe it's not intentional. Maybe it's just you've grown up in the church your whole life and it's just kind of how it is. But, but I want us to at least think about this for a moment because Jonah probably felt the same way. Jonah grew up in Israel. Jonah grew up around the people of God. It was really easy for him to say, hey, God, I'm comfortable here. You want me to preach to the Israelites? Sure, I'll do that all day long. I'll preach to my people I'll preach to these people and, and, and I'll speak against them and I'll bring the word of God to them and help them to repent. But you ask me to go to somebody that doesn't think like me, believe my, like me or look like me. And in fact, is actually my enemy. No, I don't want to go to those people. I'm comfortable here. They don't deserve your grace and mercy, Lord. They're awful people. They're outsiders, Lord. I want to stay here. I don't want to be around those people. It sounds like another story that we find in the new Testament. We're going to skip all the way up to the time of Jesus in Luke five twenty-seven through 30. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Jesus said to him, Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now, that's a great question, Jesus. (laughs) If you look at that, I think that's an honest question because, hold on, I'm confused. Um, The Bible says all over the place that I'm supposed to stay away from bad people. I'm not supposed to hang out with sinners. It says it all throughout the Bible. And here is Jesus That's eating with the sinners. So let me give you some examples from the Pharisees' perspective. 1 Corinthians 15.33, they didn't have this at the time, but this was written after, actually. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And then Psalm 26, I do not spend time with liars or go along with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. Proverbs 13.20, another book of the Bible saying the same thing. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So in a sense, well, what are the Pharisees doing? They're basically taking Proverbs 13:20 right now and weaponizing it against Jesus. And to be honest, I agree with them, right? Like in a sense, it makes sense. You shouldn't be eating with these people. They don't believe they're not believing the same way they're sinners. You got to stay away because, you know, if you're eating with them, then you're going to become a fool just like them. And let's say if you had a daughter or a son that was in high school and you found out that they were hanging out with drug addicts and partiers and stuff like that, be real with me. You'd be saying the same thing, right? Like, hey, uh, you probably shouldn't be hanging out with those people. They're not good people. They're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And if you hang out with them long enough, you're probably going to end up becoming like them. Two, so then what am I supposed to do? Because how am I supposed to follow Jesus's example of hanging out with sinners when the rest of the Bible is teaching not to hang out with sinners? It almost seems like the Bible is contradicting itself, right? Jesus offers an exception to the rule. This is why I love Jesus, because he does things in a way that just shook stuff up. He did things so differently, people didn't even understand. And I think sometimes we, even to this day, have a hard time understanding. Luke 5.31, just a little bit later, after they were complaining and grumbling and saying, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus already knows what they're thinking. He already knows what they're saying. He says, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, this is a proverb, not from the book of Proverbs that we know. It's not a biblical proverb. It was technically a secular proverb, a moral proverb. And Jesus uses it to illustrate his point. For example, if I have a hangout planned with a buddy of mine, that buddy of mine uh, calls me up and says, "Hey, uh, <coughs> hey man, um, uh, I'm not feeling so great, but uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm probably okay though. I, 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 you know, I don't think it's too bad. It's probably nothing. I think it's just allergies. I think it's just allergies. Uh, I think I'm okay. So if you want to go ahead and come on over, <coughs> then we'll be okay and we'll hang out. I'm like, dude, absolutely not." I'm not going to hang out with you. Moms with kids, you already know what I'm talking about. You've been there before. The play date has been scheduled. It has been on the calendar. You are going to go get coffee and go to the park with your lady friends. And then you're going to have your kids. They're going to play together. It's going to be great. And then she texts you, oh, no. I'm, well, one of my kids is kind of having a little sniffles. So, uh, you know, I think we're okay. But if you still want to be on, how many of y'all know? Some of y'all moms after COVID, especially y'all like, I'm not messing with that. Absolutely not. I'm not going. I ain't trying to get sick. I ain't trying to spread it to my kids. I ain't trying to have them spread it to me and then back to them and back to me. And then a month later, we're still going through this whole cycle again. No, I'm not doing it. But who is the one person that a sick person needs to be close to? A doctor. The one person that a sick person needs to be close to is a doctor. During COVID, everyone was socially distanced from each other except for Who? the doctors and the nurses. They stood on the front lines, y'all. They put themselves at risk every single day in order for those that were sick to find healing. What if every doctor in the world during COVID would have just been like, nope, not doing it. Mm-mm. nope. I, I don't wanna mess with it. I don't wanna get sick. I don't wanna put my family at risk. So you know what? Actually, I'm just gonna wipe my hands of this and y'all just good luck. Y'all figure it out what would have happened? How many more people could have died? How many more people, it would have been a struggle. How many more people would have been sick and not been able to find healing? And I have a question for you today and it might hit really close to home for some of you. It certainly hit close to home to me when I wrote it. But it's, are we withholding the message of Jesus from others and citing our own spiritual health as an excuse? Are we withholding the message of Jesus from others inciting our own spiritual health as an excuse. What do I mean by that? I mean, are we withholding the message of Jesus from other people? Are we not hanging out with other people that don't think like us, that don't believe like you and I do as Christ followers because we're nervous that they're going to influence us and that we're going to uh, you know, go down a wrong path? That We're nervous that they're going to you know, influence us and then I'm not going to believe anymore. Or I'm going to go back into some of my old ways anymore. Listen, I'm telling you, God is looking for people today that are not afraid to stand on the front lines for people in their life. They're not afraid to stand on the front lines for their family. They're not afraid to stand on the front lines for their city and to share the gospel of Jesus. The Bible says, that I am not ashamed of the gospel, Right? It's the gospel that changes lives. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the good news of Jesus that changes everything. Uh, God's looking for people that, that are not afraid to be around people that you don't agree with, that don't like you, that don't love Jesus, that don't act like you, think like you, and talk like you. Why? Because there's people out there that are sick. They're infected with this thing called sin, is what we believe. And they're in need of a doctor, and his name is Jesus. Come on, he is the great physician is what the word of God says. And he is the answer to every single problem that we face. And here's the deal. We have the, best, uh, we have the best message in the history of the entire world, that there's a God who loves you, right? That he sent his son to die for you and he wants a relationship with you. But are we too worried about being infected by the world that we hold back the truth of God for ourselves? No. I mean, I'm like, come here. Let me give you some of this antidote. Come on, come here. Let me share with you Jesus and let me share with you what he's done in my life because ultimately I can't be more worried about myself than I'm worried about others. Why? Because that's how Jesus lived his life. He wasn't more worried about himself. The Bible says that he didn't even care about himself all the way to death. He let himself die on a cross for you. Think about it for a second, guys. I hope it's convicting your heart a little bit because it's convicting me a lot of bit. So listen, here's another thing that I think that people say and that we think sometimes is that, well, I don't want to be influenced. I don't want, uh, you know, people that, that don't believe like me to influence me. Well, be the influence then. Be the one that influences the world. The church should be the biggest influence in our community. I truly believe that. Many times there's artists, uh, there's, there's movies, there's music, there's all kinds of different things. There's, there's city things that are going on. Listen, I would love for our city, for every person in our city, to know who Radical Church is because we serve our city so well. I would love for everyone in our city to know that if there's ever a problem in our town, ever a problem in our city, if there's ever an issue in their life, they can come here and find healing and find hope. That's what I would love more than anything else. Uh, Jesus was not one time negatively influenced by his association with the sinner. He was never. Did any time you see Jesus hanging out with sinners, was there ever a time when Jesus compromised his values? Was there ever a time when Jesus compromised who he was? No. He never was negatively influenced by his association with sinners. He actually benefited every time because every sinner that he encountered was able to meet their Savior for the very first time. And Jesus said his mission was to seek and to save the lost. And now when he's having dinner with these guys, these tax collectors, these awful people by the world's standards, Jesus is able to hang out with them. And I actually believe that he was more fired up than when he hung out with his own disciples because that's what he came to do. That was his mission was to seek and to save the lost, to help people that don't know God to know God. So I believe he is having the time of his life. In John 4, we talk about the the woman at the well, and I referenced this a few weeks ago, I believe, is that Jesus, uh, his disciples come up to him, and they say, Jesus, you gotta eat something. He had been ministering to this woman who had had multiple husbands and multiple partners, and she was not living for God, And, and they say, Jesus, you gotta eat something. You must be tired, you must be hungry. He says, guys, stop. Y'all don't even understand. I, I have food that you know nothing about, and my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. What was the will of the Father? It was to seek and to save the lost, to help this woman right here in that moment to see Jesus and to see God a little bit more clearly. Man, I believe that in that moment, Jesus was more fired up. He was more full than he's ever been before, more full than if he had just had a nice steak dinner. Come on, like he did not need it because he was doing the will of God in his life, and he was helping somebody find and follow God, and that's the kind of heart that I want us to have as well. So I'm gonna encourage us today to not judge the world, not to be the in the world, of the world, but judge the world kind of Christians. Don't judge the world, love the world. Not love the world in the sense of that we're loving the things that they do and and loving, you know, the way culture's going and loving the world in a way, because the Bible talks about, hey, don't love the world, right? We're not loving the world in that sense, but we are loving the world in that God's heart is that no one should perish, but that all would have eternal life. That's Bible right there. God so loved the world. It's not your job to judge those that are outside of the church. I always put it this way. Don't expect somebody that does not know God to act like they do, <laughs> right? Many times I think we put unrealistic expectations on people. We want everybody to act like we do. But listen, we have the hope and life of Jesus Christ within us. God has been sanctifying us and changing us. It says that we become a new creation we've turned away from our sin and we're moving towards Jesus. Man, they still walk in the other direction. You can't expect them to look like they're walking that way when they're walking that way. Don't expect somebody that does not know God to act like they do, but here's the deal. This is what the Bible says, John 12, 47. I did not come to judge the world, but to what? To save the world. And John 3, 16, we know this, y'all, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son And whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for it, but we won't even cry for it. Jesus died for the world. Do you ever cry for the world? Do you ever cry for your family that doesn't know God yet? Do you ever cry out to God and ask, God, would you save them? God, would you do something in their heart? They need you, God. Help me to to encourage them, help me to love them. Do you ever cry for your city? Do you ever cry for our nation? And you see where things are going in our world right now. You see where things are going in our nation. And, and, and I think we'll complain about it, but we won't cry for it. Well, Hollywood's just so jacked up right now. Heard about the Sound of Freedom movie? Man, they're just trying to censor it. Listen, I'm not trying to get political. But what I'm saying is, I said the same thing last week. If you'll say that, that's fine. But will you also pray for Hollywood? will you pray for the people that are there that are jacked up and that do need salvation, that do need Jesus, right? I'm not saying we can't you know, stand up for our faith and stand up for the things of God. Absolutely, we're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed to be Christ followers, amen? But I wanna make sure that we're not just complaining, but that we're praying. We're praying for people that don't know God. And you know that the, the story, the rest of the story, let's go back to Jonah. He gets on this boat, He's going to Tarshish. Obviously, he's going the wrong direction. And so this storm comes in and they're like, well, what is with this storm right now? There's something going on here because like this is crazy. So they wake Jonah up. He gets up there and they say, okay, somebody has done something wrong uh, because this storm is awful. So we got to figure out who's doing something wrong. And Jonah finally stands up and says, hey, um, it was me. I'm the one that's running from God. I'm the problem here. Listen, all you guys have to do is just throw me over the boat. If you just throw me over, I, I believe that God will stop this storm and all your lives will be saved. And they were like, are you sure about that? And he's like, I'm sure, like I, I deserve this. And so you got to think of that moment. Jonah didn't know he was going to get swallowed by a whale, guys. He didn't know he was going to be saved. He, he realized I've sinned so much. It'd be better just for me to die than for all these men to die. We Hindsight's twenty twenty. We know the rest of the story. He did not. Think about yourself in the middle of that situation in a raging storm on a wooden boat about to get thrown off the side and volunteering, saying, this is my fault. I just need to be done because I I ran away from God. I just need to die. He was thrown overboard, but we know that uh, God caused a whale to swallow him. And, and, and then he has this prayer from the inside of the whale, which is absolutely crazy. Now, a lot of people right here, I just want to take an aside, a lot of people would say that the book of Jonah isn't even real, that this is just an allegory, this is a metaphor, this is a story that they would tell. Here's why I would say that it is absolutely historical. It's because Jesus actually references Jonah. When you go in the New Testament, Jesus says that no sign will be given to this generation other than the sign of Jonah. What was the sign of Jonah? Jonah that he was in the belly of the whale, and then he came out. What's the sign of Jonah? Is that Jesus would go into the grave and then come out. That was the sign of Jonah. So Jesus references Jonah. And I don't believe that Jesus would reference just some old story, man. Like we believe, and you could tell that Jesus believed that this was a real thing that happened. It was historical to them. And so he swallowed up and he gets spit out on the shore right up next to Nineveh, right? He's pretty close now. Hey, that's nice. He got an Uber, Okay. Jonah eventually gets to Nineveh, and then it says this in Jonah 3. We're going to read a lot of Bible here, guys. I hope that's okay. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Even the king makes a decree that then everyone should repent and obey God. It's incredible. He goes to the king. He starts hearing this this message. The the decree comes out from the king himself. He repents and says, everybody else needs to also. And then we skip ahead. Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is incredible. An entire city gets saved. A whole city. Think about that happening. Well over 100,000 people. Because of who? One guy. One dude that had the guts, well, the second time, to go and to preach to a people that says, man, there's judgment coming, and guys, you need to turn back to God. You gotta do something different. You gotta repent. You gotta come back to God. And so God relents, and he does not destroy them. And this is like one of the most incredible victories of any prophets ever that he was able to see an entire massive city saved by God's word. So what do you think Jonah's reaction was? He's like, yes, I did it. I can't believe it. God, you were right. All I had to do was go and preach and they believed me and now they're all saved and this is going great. What was Jonah's reaction? Actually, Jonah four, one through four, but Jonah to this, uh, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. What? He became angry. Listen what it says here. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Think, look, he's still thinking about home. He's still thinking about himself. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. You have to read this. He's angry. Read it like this. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was at home? This is what I was trying to stop. Like, I knew that you're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who resents from sending calamity. The Lord, just take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's just done. He's mad. This is the enemy. You have to remember, it's the enemy. He does not want them. The Lord replied, "Is it right for you to be angry?" Ooh, Jonah had gone out then sat down in a place east of the city and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. He perched himself up on the side of a mountain, was just like waiting for the fire, right? You know, waiting for the fire and brimstone. The Lord God provided a leafy plant made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. I think that's hilarious. That's how the book of Jonah ends. And also, lots of animals, right? Got to take care of them animals. What is Jonah saying here? He said, God, I knew you were going to be kind. That's why I didn't want to go. It's like a... It's like an older brother just excited for his little brother to get in trouble when dad gets home. Like, maybe you had brothers, okay? And, and your brother does something wrong. And you know that when dad gets home, it's going down, right? Like, it's going to be awesome. You're like, <laughs> you did the thing you weren't supposed to do. And when dad gets home in a couple hours from now, you're going down, sucker, right? And then you're just like, no. And then finally dad comes home and you're like, yes, now is the time of justice, right? And then the little brother, you know, is crying like, no, dad, no. And the dad's like, you're grounded. This is what mom told me you did this. You're grounded. Go to your room. Like, I can't believe you did this, blah, blah, blah. And you're just sitting there like, yes, justice is served. And this is how I feel like Jonah is right now. He just wanted to see them get in trouble. He wanted to see them die. And in a weird way, I think as, as, as siblings in that scenario, it's almost like you're taking a weird pleasure in it, right? Sometimes I think we take a weird pleasure in other people being punished for things. Really, truly. Things that they actually did wrong, though. We take a pleasure in, in justice being served. But I think many Christians deep down would be fine if Hollywood was just destroyed. If, like, just fire and brimstone, just, like, poof, all of Hollywood... I think there'd be a large group of Christians that would celebrate. Not kidding you. Think about it for a second. They'd be sitting on top of the Hollywood sign perched up on the side of the mountain waiting to see it. Those bunch of sinners, all these people doing all these messed up dirty things, they deserve death. They deserve this. It's a victory for the kingdom of God. Listen, think about that for a second, guys. Do we celebrate justice and destruction more than we celebrate God's mercy and grace. Because if it was not for the grace of God, you and I would not be here right now. If it was not for the grace of God, you and I would not have a relationship with God. Because the Bible says that you also deserve death. So do I. Because of what? Our sin. Our sin, which is no greater than theirs. It might seem greater, but it's not. God has a heart for Hollywood, the same as he did for Nineveh. But Jonah would rather have this plant live than the entire city of Nineveh. That's what God's saying. He's like, is it right for you to be angry that this plant died? You'd rather this plant live than that entire city live. Honestly, you're more concerned about the plant. God's trying to refocus Jonah. And he's saying, listen, you're not understanding. It's not about the fire and the brimstone and the justice and, 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 and all that stuff. Yes, we want justice to be served when God deems it necessary. But when God says, I wanna show grace here, man, we gotta get behind that. And God says, really, you care more about this? I'm glad that God doesn't deal with me like we deal with us. I'm glad that he deals with us with a little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy, a little bit more compassion than we do. Why do we do that? That's just because we're selfish and we're broken, messed up people and we think differently than God thinks. We just don't think the same way as him. He is a loving and a gracious God. Yes, he will serve justice, but yes, he is also a God of mercy and grace. Even though Nineveh was everything that Jonah believed it was and worse, they were probably worse than what Jonah even thought. These people had deeply offended God. They had continually rebelled against him, but God showed grace and mercy. Why? Because God had a heart for Nineveh. And that's why the message today is a heart for Nineveh. Because he wanted to see them repent. He wanted them to turn back to him. He was so happy when they did. That's why the Bible says that God wishes that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. Are everybody, Is everybody gonna turn to God and give their life to him? No. But the Bible says that God wants that and we should want that too. I want a heart for Nineveh. I want you to have a heart for Nineveh. What does that look like? I want you to have a heart for Hollywood and I want to pray for Hollywood. I want to see New York City saved. Come on, somebody. I want to see Boston saved in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to see Philadelphia saved. I want to see uh, San Francisco saved and I want to see Orlando saved, Boston. Come on, all these big cities that we have Houston, Dallas, a DFW area. Man, I would love to see revival happen across our nation. I want to see all of them saved. We cry out for judgment of God. No, I'm going to cry out for the grace and mercy of God upon these places. I want to see people saved, healed, delivered, and set free. I want to ask you today do you want to have a heart for Nineveh as well? I'm not saying our city of Kyle is Nineveh, okay? I'm not saying we're torturing people in the city of Kyle. But there are people around here and in our city, in our families, in our workplaces that do not know God. And are we more concerned about the judgment upon them or are we more concerned about God's grace and love to them? Come on, would you stand up in this place today? i want to ask you a question. Are you ready to be used by God to shake up a city? Are you ready to be used by God to be a spokesperson in your family for Jesus Christ? Uh, is there anybody that is ready to, to be somebody that would stand up for Jesus at their school? Stand up for Jesus at their workplace and say, you know what, man, I'm available to be used by you, God. I want to pray for these people. I want to love these people. Come on, I encourage you to sing in this place today and give your heart to Jesus and give your life to Jesus. Say, God, I'm available to you. Come on, use me, God. Work through me, Jesus. I want to see my city saved. I want revival in Kyle, Texas, in Buda, Texas, in San Marcos, Texas, Hayes County and beyond. God, use us, Lord. Help us, God, to have a heart for the people that you have a heart for, Jesus. Come on, you can have it all, God. We're available to you. Come on, would you lift your hands? Would you sing? Yeah. Nineveh, I believe God has a heart for Kyle, Texas. The series is called For Our City. And the reason why we're doing this series is because I believe that God has a heart for Hayes County. I believe that God has a heart for the people around us that do not know him yet. Now we could sit here and we could be very concerned about ourselves and our own walk with God and our own relationship with the Lord and our own community and our own church. Or we could be like Jesus and think more about other people. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but I wanna have a holy conviction within us to care more about others than we do ourselves. Jesus said, I came to serve, not to be served. It's better to give than it is to what? Receive. This is the heart of God. in the same way that God was trying to shift Jonah's mindset, I simply want today for you to start to shift your mindset off of yourself and onto somebody else. That your heart would break for the lost. My heart breaks for people that don't know God. My heart breaks for people that are stuck in sin. My heart breaks for people like Nineveh. For cities like that. It's easy like to be like Jonah. We are like Jonah, Usually. To cast judgment down, like, oh, Lord, get them. No, 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 no. God, would you be gracious to them? Would you save somebody there, God? Would you change somebody's heart? Lord, there's a filmmaker there that needs to find you, Jesus, and make movies about you. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen more and more movies coming out of Hollywood of people getting saved and hearing stories like that. Man, I believe that there's more to come. And I believe it's on the backs of Christians praying for those people that that's why it's happening. I want our city, I want Austin to be saved, man. I want to see Austin be the best city that it could be. I want to see revival in the city. San Antonio, man, in the whole corridor. I would love to see that. God has a heart for Nineveh. But ultimately, let me tell you, God has a heart for you. Uh, The Bible says, "While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It's that while we were still living in our Nineveh lifestyle, Jesus died for you. While you were still partying and you were still messed up and you were still going your own way or whatever, Jesus died for you. While you're still running from God, Christ died for you. You were going to Tarshish and he was bringing you back. When you were still stuck in your sin, Christ died for you. And if you're under the sound of my voice, whether you're online, whether you're in person, let me tell you today, Jesus died for you and for me. And it's by his grace that we are saved. And it's by faith that we're saved. I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus today. Maybe there's somebody that needs to put their faith in God today. You realize that you've been thinking more about yourself than others. You realize that you've been going your own way, trying to run from God, but God's pulling you back today. And he's saying, would you just come and be in a relationship with me? Would you help me to shift your mindset? Would you help me, uh, let, let me shift your life. I can give you hope, I can give you peace that surpasses all understanding. Even when life's tough, and I'll be right there with you. I believe, That's what God wants to do for somebody here today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I wanna give you the opportunity just to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you look within you and you say, hey, at one point or even now, I've been like the Ninevites. And today I am your Jonah coming to you to say, God loves you and if you would just repent If you would turn away from your sin, man, follow Jesus. He will give you a life that is much better than any life that you could live on your own. If there's anyone that needs to be forgiven today and wants to get right with God, would you just raise your hand on the count of three? If that's you, you say, Pastor, that's me. One, two, three. Raise your hand and look right up at me. Come on, I see you, my man. Yes, sir. I see you right here. I see you right here. I see you over there. Yes, sir. Come on, my man. Yes. Four people today. Come on. Yes, Lord Jesus. Is there anybody else? You look right up at me. Raise your hand. You can put it right back down. Come on. That's amazing. Four people saying yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Come on. Let's celebrate together these people. Yeah, give it up. Give it up. Come on. As an act of solidarity, can we pray along with these four? And let's, let's believe that God's going to do something in their heart and in ours too as we pray for our city and we serve our city. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus, I gave you my life. I thank you that you had grace for me when I did not deserve it. Just like the people of Nineveh, you've called me to repent, to turn from my old ways, and to follow you. I do that today. I follow you now. I put you first forever and ever. Thank you for loving me. For dying for me, for raising again in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody shout amen and give God some praise in the house of God. Four people saying yes to Jesus, that's what it's all about, y'all. Come on, is your is your heart get excited when somebody says yes to Jesus? Are we like Jonah that just says, like, oh man, they turn to God? No, no, no. Are we excited when somebody says yes to Jesus? Man, I want to get excited. I want to shout because this is what it's all about. It's not about me. It's about others, man. I'm just so honored, honored, honored to be a part of what God is doing in this place today. And I hope that you are too. Man, y'all have a fantastic week. If you're new, please, please connect with us right outside. Drop off that connect card. I'd love to meet you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.